It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday. It is 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, so we are live and making it happen today. Um, and really excited about my guests that are coming on the show. We have one uh, who's returning uh, to our show. She's been on like, once or twice before. Really excited to, to bring her in. Then we'll have a, a new guest as well. And, uh, you know, in case this is the first time you're tuning in, you know, this, this show is really built around this idea of having a conversation about learning from really smart people who are doing great things inside the world of talent, who are uniquely talented themselves, sort of using that word talent in two different ways. And and hopefully, like I said, we can take their stories, take their what they're passionate about, what they're thinking about, maybe what they're afraid about, whatever it may be right now, and, and think about those things and make them as a, a big part of our um, discussion, make them a big part of what we're doing uh, inside of, of our work. So, you know, if you're interested in in hearing some of the past stories, uh, you know, we you can find us on iTunes, on iHeartRadio. Uh, all of our podcasts can be found there. Uh, you can also pick up my book, The Power of Company Culture, uh, which is a bestseller and has a lot of the greatest stories from the radio show in the past. Um, you can pick up a copy wherever you buy your books. But like I said, we are here uh, live or, or we're playing a, a best of show every Tuesday. You can always tune in live. Uh, or get us, like I said, uh, subscribe to the uh, to the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcast. Even go to talenttalkradio.com, and you can get uh, uh, subscribe there as well, and make sure you never miss an episode. Uh, one of the things um, that we have uh, been doing is live tweeting as well, uh, all of our shows. And so during uh, the show, you can always find some of the best. Uh, you know, one-liners, you can find some of the best little bits of information, uh, all the kind of the best things that come up during the show, maybe book suggestions, uh, links to our guest profiles, their companies, um, all those types of things that you might want to do. All you have to do is follow us on Twitter, at PeopleG2, follow that hashtag Talent Talk, and you'll definitely get what you need there. Um, but let's go ahead and uh, bring in, uh, or at least talk to you about who my guests are today. My my first guest will be uh, Cecilia Gorman, uh, who has been on the show before, owner of Creative Talent Partners. And then after the uh, commercial break, we will bring in uh, Kelly Irons, owner of Develop Us, uh, like I said, after the commercial break. So uh, anyways, let's go ahead and bring in Cecilia. Welcome back. Hey, Chris, how are you? Thanks for having me. Good, good to talk to you. I know uh, we usually see each other around and about, uh, but uh, haven't talked to you uh, in maybe a few months, so it's good to connect, even if we're going to do it here live in front of everybody. But why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what you're doing, what Creative Talent Partners is all about, kind of get us uh, up to speed uh, on the who, what, where, and how of Cecilia Gorman. You got it. So I am Cecilia Gorman. I'm an Orange County-based speaker and trainer. My, the focus of my business in the talent development realm is new and struggling managers and the teams they lead. So that was born out of me just having a soft spot in my heart for folks who get their very first promotion, the very first time they're managing people, and they find that that job is a lot harder than they imagined, um, mostly coming from my own experience. So when I launched my training and consultancy business, this was the area that I picked a lot of my programs establish fundamental skills for managers, help them navigate communication, developing their own leadership style, and maneuvering they, how they operate with their teams. So I typically go into what I call creatively-minded companies. My background is in advertising. So I serve a lot of ad agencies, media, marketing firms, 
um, brands that have their own creative or marketing departments. Um, and it's, it's been just a wonderful opportunity. So that's basically what I've been up to lately. Well, fantastic. And I know uh, a lot of the work that you do, you kind of really immediately started with, I think, what I think of you of is, is helping those people when they get that first job, right, or that first managerial job, that they're suddenly being asked to take on more, to lead a team or have direct reports. And then they find out, oh, well, maybe that stuff that I thought was leadership and all the things I thought I knew that I could rely on isn't really what I need to be doing to be successful. And how do I deal with all of these new pressures and all these new things coming at me and all this new responsibility and keep my sanity and be good at it. So, you know, maybe we'll kind of start with why do you think companies should be, I guess, future focused, uh, especially when it comes around this idea of talent management, as opposed to maybe, you know, what do they need right now or constantly evaluating what they did in the past? You know, I think you're sort of suggesting they look to the future. And, and why is that? Well, I've latched on to this thing, and we've all heard it before, but I think it's especially powerful when we talk about talent, and that is the future is now. So when we say, um, I want my company, I want my department, I want my team to be equipped a year from now or three years from now or five years from now, I, I would imagine everybody's going to raise their hand and say, yes, I, absolutely, I want my team to be equipped to grow. I want them to bring more of their talents to the table. I, I want my company to succeed. And yet, the focus on developing talent often um, gets a, a bit neglected when we t when we butt that up against my to-do list and the things I have to get done now. So I'm, I'm trying to encourage the clients that I work with when I go out and speak. I'm trying to encourage people to realize that if you want more equipped employees, more savvy managers and leaders, that future focus is in fact bringing you back to today and, and what are you doing today to bolster the, the talents and skills of the people you have in order to be successful three years, five years, 10 years from now. And, and if we look at that and we say, okay, we're going to, we're going to have that future focus and we're going to think about our work and our development and our people that way. Are there particular skills where you're sort of seeing uh, gaps in or, or areas we think gaps are going to start appearing as we start looking you know, down that path. So absolutely. And, and here's where I've kind of birthed this idea of these skills that come to mind, at least for me, is that everybody's working under this time crunch. I, I can't imagine any business saying, you know what, I think we're actually going to slow down. And then are people going to have time to breathe and maybe have a little more space to work? No, everybody's getting busier and busier. The, the speed of work is getting faster and faster. And so what are the skills that people are going to need to operate under those conditions and circumstances? So the ones I've been focusing on, uh, I think would make a good discussion for people to bring that back to their own companies and say, hmm, isn't that interesting? How does this apply to us? And the first one I say is courage. We have to make sure that we're cultivating employees that have a certain level of courage because courage feeds into so many things. It feeds into risk taking. It feeds into um, in initiating tough conversations, which is part of the, the feedback and performance review cycle. Courage is the ability to, um, to generate new and imaginative ideas that, that, that uh, increase our ability to innovate. And so it, it, it's courage as a skill something we're even paying attention to, and I think is there a gap in what we're going to actually need from employees. The, the next one that I think is, is an interesting one to marinate on is curiosity. So we, we could probably interview 100 people who, who are, you know, working at your company and say, hey, do you think you're a curious person and do you use that at work? They'd be like, well, yeah, I'm probably generally a curious person. So I, I think generally we are, but what I'd like us to do is to be purposefully curious. And so are we making um, the drive to learn, the, the eagerness to, to grow and push and, and to really dig in and discover things, are we making that a priority at our companies? Or are we kind of just getting uh, the default level of curiosity that people happen to walk in the door with? So, so purposeful cultivation of, of that curiosity gene. And then the last one is a word that I'm hearing a lot of, and I think that we have a gap, at least in perception, of, of our employees now, and that's initiative. 
is, isn't that true, right? We're talking about, I wish millennials would have more initiative and wish my, my team would just take more initiative. And everybody's talking about it, but are we teaching it? Are we, are we role modeling it? Are we saying, hey, this is how you grow in being, in being a person that, that takes more initiative? I think we expect it of people and we assume if you're uh, an adult, who, you know, went to school, went to college, and now you have a job that innately you should have initiative. But I don't know. I don't know if we're really honing that skill for people. So the gap may be different for different companies, but what would, what would it look like if we really focused on what developing those three things might be? Courage, curiosity, and initiative. Well, and often it's the culture that can really help us um, push these things forward because we expect someone who comes into a company to be curious uh, and to have some bit of initiative, right? They, they've been given a new job and they say, well, why do we do this? And why do we do that? And how can we sell this? And how can we don't do it this way? I mean, these are normal questions that come up when you first start working. But somewhere along the way, we stop asking those questions and we just sort of default back into, well, I already know everything I know, or I'm already at a point where I should know it. And so if I ask those questions, I look like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I notice there are, you know, cultures where they you're st- they encourage people to still look at things and ask those questions uh, ongoing. Um, or they put people in intentionally new situations, right? Well, they yes. will kind of crossbreed teams and bring people, you know, put a marketing person with a salesperson, with a customer service person, with an accounting person, and ask them to go solve a problem. And you'll start getting a lot more curiosity, a lot more questions, because they're not in a group of their peers, but they're supposed to know everything, right? Absolutely. Well, I think that's what your book helps people uncover, which is exactly the words you said. It's like, you want a great culture, you got to be intentional about it. Like we, we mm-hmm. actually have to continue thinking about what that cultivation looks like beyond somebody's day one or beyond somebody's first year. Yeah. And, the, and then the second part on initiative, I always think about how much more initiative my own people take and the people that I've worked with when we start feeding our employees more information. Um, you know, it's really hard for someone to come and have initiative and to come to you with this great idea or to push you on something if they don't know what you know. And as yeah. the leader of the team or an executive of a company or whatever that scenario is, if you've got six out of the 10 bits of information in your head and they've got one out of 10, how could you possibly expect them to come to you with the next great idea or or with any sort of initiative when they have such limited detail into that scenario. So how, how much do you think education and transparency and sort of you know, taking the time to, to talk to our people about, you know, as leaders, uh, even if it's hard, even if we don't have time, uh, about these things to help them help us? Oh, I, I think that's, that's crucial. And um, I always latch on to um, my second favorite saying now, which is the expectation is. Hey, the expectation on our team is that you take initiative when it comes to um, uh, business development or take, you take initiative when it comes to improving our processes. Now, if I say that, if I say that the expectation is I've kind of outlined for you the, the playground within which our team is going to operate, but where transparency comes into play is, like you said, I've got to equip you enough to be able to do that. So that might be I'm being transparent with that information. And... I've got to lessen a little bit of the control that I've previously held on it. So this gets into delegation and micromanagement. I got to be really comfortable with myself to be to loosen the reins enough to say I'm willing for you now to take part of this owner and, and for you to make this your own. So for, for you to flex the muscle of initiative, I've got to be willing to flex the muscle on control and loosen that up a bit. Yeah, and, and that's often hard too for for people. I mean, it's sometimes it's time, sometimes it's access, and sometimes it's just control. And for us to trust our people and to trust them to do their best work. I mean, I, I often have people ask me, "How can you possibly have a remote company? How do how do you know what people are doing?" And often by trusting them to do their work, right, and setting clear KPIs and clear measurement, but trusting that they're going to get their work done yeah. is far more important than anything I might do to double check or to track them or to, you know, to make sure just this idea that I trust you to get it done. And we have clear, um, you know, expectations of what done means. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really easy to know if they're doing their job or not. But that's, you you know, it's it's almost counterintuitive, right? Trust them and don't don't, don't check. (laughs) 
that's a foreign concept. If you've never worked remotely, managed a team remotely, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> I can't even wrap my head around that. Yeah. If they're not running around, you know, stapling things and making noise and talking to people, then how, how do I know if they're being productive? Um, you know, it's often sort of the this weird thing that I hear from people. But, you know, I'm sort of wondering, you know, uh, your perspectives, given how much work you do inside of, you know, our, our talent management world, uh, are you sort of seeing a, a shift in the marketplace uh, in the needs of talent development? Um, you know, where is it sort of imperative that we think about focusing uh, maybe more so than we have in the past. Gosh, I- I'm going to say absolutely. But, you know, I-, I think if I was, if I had spent the last four years formally working in a talent development department at a company, I would have a different answer. So my last four, be, and I just say in the last four years, because so much has changed in the training and development space, right? Mm-hmm. We've got micro learning coming and all, all these different shifts that are happening. I, what I think the, the, the biggest thing we have to make sure we're doing is that we're actually doing something that we're not doing development by default that, hey, you're going to learn on the job, your manager's going to teach you, or you're going to work on a couple of projects. Okay, so whatever they learn is kind of by default. I I just think we've got to put a focus and a plan against it, whatever that plan is. And so that's the gap that I think if people don't take this seriously, again, I go back to the future is now. If you're not taking talent development seriously now, how in the world can you expect to have stronger, better more equipped employees three years from now. It's just, it's, it's, it's impossible. You're just going to get what you get. Right. Right. And yeah, it's sort of that uh, default to just, we hope it's going to happen, right? You just sort of, and maybe their most, your, your top, top employees might be able to learn and figure out what they need in that sort of type of scenario. Yeah. Your high learners, your high potential, your people who are really, really vested in their own growth and development. There's always a few of those. But the rest of the population, what what then with them? Right. What do they do? And and often they're kind of waiting, and then it doesn't happen, and then they get just unhappy, and and then you're then you're doing all these other programs to try to figure out why they're unhappy, and then how to get them happy, and, and all you had to do in the beginning was be more intentional. And exactly. Um, yeah, it seems like uh, it's like an area that you know HR folks and senior leaders should really be thinking about. I mean, uh, what else should they be thinking about, especially to you know address some of those gaps? Um, well, that, you know what's interesting is I, so I found this um, this chart that Gallup had made in 2016. So it's not it's not that old, but it was talking about the shift in workforce needs, and it said previously people were focused on things like um, this is my job, um, this is my manager, this is my paycheck, um, this is my annual performance review, and that's kind of how we lived in the workforce. Now today. The workforce is saying, this is about my purpose. This is about my development. This is about uh, um, my coach, my mentor. This is about ongoing conversations about me. And this is actually about my whole life, not just my job. And so what I think is interesting when you see that shift, that people want more from their life and what they do from nine to five is part of that. So what I think that means for talent development folks is the tolerance to not be fed um, with this hunger to have it be more about whole life living, the tolerance is going to go down. So we say, oh, um, people are jumping from job to job. Well, that's because their tolerance to put up with what was old school, oh, I'm going to get my review once a year, and then I'm going to get my 3% raise, and my manager's going to do this, and I get my paycheck every two weeks. But like, they're no, That's no longer what their life is about. So I think we're going to see if we don't do something about it, change the way we're, we're speaking into people's development, give them more opportunities to grow, invest in what their whole life means, then I, I think that we'll continue to see a problem with retention. Do you think this sort of rapid change in what we value as employees, I mean, it certainly has changed, right? It was the, you go have a career, you get a degree, you go have a career, and that's, you know, the way... You get a retirement, and that's how you survive, right? As, as in yeah. the world, and then a change to, you know, I want to have a purpose. I want to. I'm going to spend so much time at work, like you said. I want to be, you know, connected to what we're doing and why we're doing it. And and the paycheck and those things became a little bit less 
um, imperative. But I think for if you look at it from the employer's side, things have keep changing, right? The narrative keeps changing. What employees want keep changing, and what they value um, has changed. And 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 you know that's part of what they have to figure out. But do you think that's a roadblock to, to maybe talent development as well to figure out? What what is it you want to be developed in? Do you do, do you want to be able to uh, move up into the company, or do you want training that will help you move up in your career, even if that's not with us? Uh, do, do you see that as a potential roadblock? Well, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes, but I'm going to qualify it. So I do think it's a roadblock because, in my mind, where I jump to when you say that, Chris, is that it needs to be more personalized. So I can't assume that most people at my company, if they're there, they want to go through the ranks and they want to learn how to be better leaders. And uh, I think it comes down to know what does this person want? Well, this person, their career drive is actually a little bit different and, and they, they want to go in this direction. And well, this person, well, their, their life purpose is a little different. So I, I think maybe that personalization because it takes so much time and, and effort is, is ultimately going to become a roadblock. But if we're trying to blanket the same development on the same people and feel like we're going to hit everybody's target, I don't know if that's going to work. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. becomes a, it becomes a time factor. And, right, and right. It's effect. like, you know, how many different ways can you try to, to manage right. that? So, yeah. Right. And maybe it's, you know, you have one or two that you think work and that's the kind of employees that you're able to attract and the other ones that don't fit into that mold, maybe that's not the, the right fit for your company. Um, yeah. I, I guess maybe it's better to do one, even if it's not the perfect one, but to do it really, really well than it is to try to do several other ones kind of not well at all, uh, even if you're offering variety there. Agree. I, I think the whole idea of it is organic, and if we go back to you, just you just have to be purposeful about it. So we make make the agreement that focusing on the development of your talent is going to happen. Great. We we make that agreement. We make that part of our um, the fabric of who we are, and then become more flexible in in what that looks like. Keeping in mind, though, that what people value has shifted. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually, you know, let me take that back. I think we've always valued our life as having purpose and meaning and fulfillment. I just think in previous generations, we just didn't have enough courage to do anything about it. We we just like stability more than we like life fulfillment. And now, as as new generations come in, they've swapped that. They're like, oh no, hell no! Like uh, this is about my fulfillment first. Right. Right. And, and, and it's an evolution. And certainly I think people realize that they could have both. Maybe before you, you go and you do your work and you, you, you make money for your family or whatever, but that wasn't the purpose of work. Uh, I think maybe we've evolved in, in some ways with that or seeing great examples of how people could have both. And, and you know, we want that too. Well, I know uh, you are an avid reader. You've, you've been an active part, of, uh, an active participant at different times in the Orange County Book Club. Um, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might share with us? Oh gosh, I got so many. I got so many. Um, I'm re- reading a book right now called Life Is Sport, and it was given to me by one of my clients. And uh, the the author is a is a sports performance coach. And he coaches like major league baseball players, uh, football players, as well as executives. And he's sharing his strategies on performance in the workplace and how he works with athletes to be like to have their mindset ready for um, their growth and their success. And it's it's really been a totally fascinating read. You, you don't have to be a sports person to be into it, but um, it's just this refreshing take on how can we up-level our performance using some of the strategies that work in real-time, um, high-stress performance situations. Well, sounds like a great book. Well, certainly I think our listeners would love to check it out, and we'll add it to the potential list for the book club. Okay, uh, okay. And, and most importantly, how can people get a hold of you, find out more about Creative Talent Partners if they're interested in working with you? Yep, you can just Google Cecilia Gorman. That's the easiest thing. Um, also at creativetalentpartners.com. So you're going to find the programs that I offer for managers. You're going to see a, a link to go to New Manager Bootcamp, which is my online course. And you're just going to see basically what I'm all about. You can follow me on Instagram at, at Cecilia Gorman. Um, so all, all sorts of ways to find me, but um, the Google is probably the best. 
The Google, I love it. All right, well, Cecilia, thank you so much for coming back on the show Thanks, today. Bro. Love to have you here, and hopefully we'll have you come back at some point as, as well and give us an update and, and your thoughts on all the cool things you're doing. Okay, thanks for being a great host. Nice to talk to you, my friend. Thanks. All right, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break and come back with my second guest, Kelly Irons. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. If you missed my first guest, Cecilia Gorman, you'll be able to check her out and my next guest um, up on the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast probably the next week or two. Uh, maybe a slight delay with the Thanksgiving coming up here next week. But um, I'm really excited to bring in my next guest. Don't forget, you can go to talenttalkradio.com as well to find us there. Uh, and you can always tune in live on the TuneIn app uh, anytime to listen to us live, Tuesday at 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. All right, my next guest is Kelly Irons, president and CEO of Develop. I'm hoping it's Develop Us. We'll find out if I'm saying that wrong. Maybe it's Develop US, but um, we'll find out in a moment. And as a reminder, don't forget, we are tweeting all the best comments. Uh, you can ask us questions and give us your feedback by following at PeopleG2. And you can also follow the hashtag Talent Talk, all one word. But Kelly, welcome to the show today. Thank you very much. And to answer your first question, you had it right the first time. It is Develop Us. Develop us. All right, good. So, you know, usually now the show goes by that I don't mess up someone's name or the something. So I'm I'm, I'm doing good right now, which is, mm-hmm. well, well, give me give me time now. Um, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you, and what does your company do? Sure. Uh, so I am the founder of a small but mighty employee development firm out here in Charlotte, North Carolina, called Develop Us. And, you know, really my entire career, with with the exception of a 15-month stint in a product-centered business, um, has really been in industries and companies where people were the product. My, my job from the time I volunteered in youth groups as a teenager um, all the way up until decades later, which is what brings us to current day, has really been about developing other humans and, and making people better people. So I started the Develop Us business about 19 years ago. It, scares me to think that it's been that long, um, but much more formally about seven years ago when I, I made the, the official permanent exit from corporate America. So we've got four lines of business. We, we build training. We deliver leadership training. We do a lot of executive coaching and some assessment work. And I have the distinct pleasure of managing those amazing people that help us deliver results in that area. So I get to run around the world spending time with really highly motivated or well, sometimes unmotivated, uh, <laughs> doing great work and, and making people better people so they can get more out of life and produce more for the companies they work for. Well, that sounds great. And I know you have a particular model. Uh, maybe you could explain to us. It's called real Asianship. So the R-E-A-L being in all caps. I'm, I'm assuming that's an acronym of some sort. Uh, well, what does that model entail? Yeah, that's our model that we've built over the past uh, really several years. It's about five years into its full life at this point, um, that really is a 12-step plan for leaders to engage differently with themselves, with others, and with their teams as a collective entity. Um, so the real relationship, the way that it's written with the, the real and all capital letters, is really meant to highlight the difference between a relationship that might be on repeat, mm, mm-hmm. uh, which we all know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Um, and it's really a, ling- a linguistics game. So if you drop an A down into the middle of relationship, it turns your relationship into a real relationship. 
So the model is actually based around four A's, and we refer to it as bringing your A game to critical relationships. And it's really wrapped around the idea of awareness and acknowledgement and accountability and authenticity. And we look at those four things from the lens of self, so self-awareness, self-acknowledgement, self-accountability, self-authenticity, others, so those same four A's as it relates to other people, and then the same four A's as it relates to your team as a leader and the the group of people that you need to manage as its own entity. Um, So all in all, it's 12 steps, and it's it's really our lifeblood at this point. We do a lot of work around that and a lot of speaking on it, and... uh, it's really shown to get some, some really profound results, both at the individual and team level in terms of cultures and how people relate with one another. So how is the model maybe different than other models that are out there? You know, in some ways it is, and in some ways it isn't. Um, the idea of building great relationships with other humans is not something that's new. Uh, we all in this world of talent acknowledge that your ability to connect with other people is paramount. And more and more, we're starting to see this trend away from highly technical leadership skills and into much softer skills and relationship-driven skills. So in some ways, it's not different. Uh, You know, it's old news in some respects. Gosh, you've got to have great relationships with people. But I think what makes it different is that it goes beyond some of the legacy models that are out there, like the, the classic, you know, Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which everyone should read, by the way. If you haven't read that, it's a staple. You should read it. But that is a very, it's a very behavioral model, right? So it talks about things like uh, use people's names when you talk to them. It'll make them like you, right? How to win friends. Mm-hmm. It, it's these kind of um, core behavioral things that can make people like you. And what makes this model different is that this really isn't about making people like you. (laughs) Not that we all don't want to be liked to some degree or another, but it's about making people commit to you um, and you commit to them. And it's about the relationship between humans at a much deeper level than the surface behaviors. So in some ways, it's very different. And in some ways, it's kind of old news. Like, we get it. We know that relationships are important, but no one ever teaches us really how to build great relationships. And that's what this model is all about. Yeah, and I I like that sort of distinction there about them committing to you, right? Because I I remember, uh, you know, reading that famous play, uh, Death of a Salesman, right? And it was about, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, Willie Loman was really focused on people liking him. Um, but I think the moral, my, my takeaway, the moral story was it wasn't about being liked, it was about being respected, about doing and, and acting in a way that people would respect you. Usually then them liking you would follow. Um, but if you go out there just trying to make people like to like you, that is not, it's sort of a recipe for disaster. And I, I do like the distinction here about getting them to commit to you. And that, that does mean they respect you. It does mean that they get where you're coming from, that they understand who you are as a person and the values that you bring or maybe what solution you might be bringing into their organization or skills or whatever it may be. So sounds like a really good model that people might be able to find. Sometimes you just need that right tweak and that right word to get your leaders or get your people to to get it and to get what they're trying to do. And then you, you can then you can do all the detail work down below that. But that, from a large concept standpoint, I really like kind of the way that's framed out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's getting great response. And I couldn't agree with you more. You know, if I look back over the course of my career, particularly in, in corporate America, and even quite frankly with some of the clients that I've worked with over the past couple of decades, the ones that I would name as my, you know, the best boss I've ever worked for, the best leader I've ever worked for, might not be people that I would socialize with or have a beer with on a Friday night out of choice, but mm-hmm. they were great leaders. And that's a skill set that I think is, is just paramount from, from an organizational success perspective, but also for leaders from a self-actualization perspective, right? People want to be good leaders, but we don't necessarily teach them how to connect with people in a way that allows them to lead those people which implies that their people are following them in a particular direction. So it's about the connection between people. Well, I think some of the things you're talking about and, and, and in that uh, a book as well, uh, you mentioned uh, you know, sort of developing some of those soft skills, things that maybe either they're gaps that people never learned, there are things that they didn't, uh, maybe they forgot or they're not focusing on uh, as a skill. I mean, 
nothing nothing goes farther in a networking event than a warm firm handshake right not too hard (laughs) you don't want your hands to be cold but like the silliest thing will make a huge difference on whether or not in a networking event you're going to make good connections or not by having these little things that you learn over time right and so those are soft skills or small things that make a big difference but what are some of your suggestions for corporate leaders who really want to grow in this area want to help their teams grow in this area yeah, there's, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I'd like to make just a slight distinction there in terms of how we think about soft skills versus the more technical skills. Sure, sure. Um, and it's in a way how this model, is, I think, is different, back to your earlier question. Uh, those things like making eye contact and a firm handshake, we would actually consider a technical skill. Um, and the softer skills, and, and this goes to your, your current question, if you really want to develop those softer skills, it is, you have to start to think about self-awareness as as the gateway drug to all of this, right? It's the baseline competency. And so I would really encourage both individuals and organizations to start to think about what is it that you want to learn, right? What what really is the skill that you want to learn or that you want your, your leaders to learn? And oftentimes the first skill that people name isn't the real skill, right? So for example, I I was working with a coaching client um, over the course of last year who, when I said, what brings you into this engagement? She was really clear. She said, I need to be more organized. You know, I I absolutely need to be more organized. And over the course of the first session or two, we unpacked that a little bit. And the skill that she needed to learn wasn't being organized, right? The, The disorganization was a symptom of this skill that she needed to build around, gosh, I have this narrative that if I'm not busy enough, then I'm not good enough. And so she overwhelmed herself with busyness and chaos to, you know, feel important or all these different narratives that went through her head. And so the real skill is how do I recognize when I'm doing something that's not serving me? And what are the symptoms that that's producing in my leadership? And so when I say be clear about what you want people to learn, oftentimes people go to the, I want to learn how to change this outcome. And, and well, yeah, that'll come. But what you need to learn is how to fix what's causing the outcome. And so it's a paradigm shift. Um, but I would absolutely recommend that you get super, super clear on what it is that you want to learn and what's the skill that's going to get you to the next level because sometimes it's not the one that you think it is. And do you think that there are maybe uh, a, a specific skill or maybe a couple things that you're seeing that are pretty consistently really important for leaders to have today? Yeah, there's there's two that come to mind. And, you know, it's funny, I get asked that question often. Like, what, what are the one or two things that leaders need to learn? If, you, if they could only learn two things, what would they be? And the two that come up for me in equal amounts of importance really come back to self-awareness and courage. And the two of those things in equal proportions, I think, are really a deadly weapon in all the right ways. Um, hmm. Self-awareness is really the foundation of it all. You know, are you aware of how you're landing? Are you aware of, you know, physically what's happening for you when you're anxious, mad, excited? Are you aware of what the resulting behaviors are when you're feeling anxious, overwhelmed, excited, exhausted, angry? Um, are you aware of how you respond to feedback? You know, feedback is such a gift because people wouldn't tell us if it didn't matter and they didn't care, right? That's one of our our standard lines. Uh, Feedback really is a gift and people wouldn't tell you if it didn't matter and they didn't care. So when you get feedback, are you aware of how you respond to that? And can you take it in as a gift or rebel against it because you don't like the message or you disagree with it or you don't like the person delivering it to you, right? Self-awareness around those habits that put you on autopilot instead of put you in a position of choice. And then hot on the heels of that is the courage to say, wow, here's where what's really happening for me. And now that I am in a position of choice, can I make the courageous choice over the easy choice? 
Can I have the difficult conversation? Can I take the big risk? Can I fire my best friend if they're not doing their job? Uh, you know, can I do these things that, that take courage? And so self-awareness and courage, I, I truly believe those are the foundations for really great leadership. And, and how does this then connect to, I know you have you teach and talk about this in your programs, the somatic literacy. What does that mean and how does that connect to what you were just saying? Oh, yes. Yeah. Somatic literacy is one of my favorite topics. Uh, so for those who aren't familiar with even the idea of what somatic is, um, it's an ancient Greek term. You know, it stems from the ancient days that refers to just being of the body, essentially. So this idea of body literacy or somatic literacy is the ability to read what's going on with you and take it in as a source of information. So that all sounds a little kind of woo-woo <laughs> for many people, like, what? Listen to my body? But if you think about it, if you are super, super hungry, you can probably name how that feels, right? If I were to ask mm -hmm. you that, like, what, what, what's it feel like to be hungry? What would you say? Well, your tummy might rumble, right? You might be cranky. You might, uh, you know, think about food. You might, there's all these different things, you, yeah, that might, might come up. Yeah, and that's where most people go, right? It's like the, oh, I get cranky or, you know, I think about food all the time. But those are actually the outcomes, Right? So somatic literacy is about teaching this deeper level of, wow, you know, maybe I do feel it in my stomach, right? Like I can feel my stomach rumbling. I can feel my hands jittering. Um, I can feel a, a tightness in my chest or I can feel these physical sensations that happen when I get hungry. Um, another example that I use all the time is if you have to go to the bathroom, <laughs> there is a very distinct physical sensation associated with hey, silly, I need you to get up and go take some action related to this. And the fact of the matter is, is that there are some of those that are easy to recognize, like hunger or like needing to go to the bathroom. But your body sends you those messages all the time, all the time. And we just tune them out. So what we teach people as part of this self-awareness concept is, hey, when you're angry, what does that feel like? Or when you feel like an imposter, what does that feel like? Or when you feel defensive, what does that feel like? And we get people to kind of tap into those physical sensations because the physical sensations come first. So if a leader, for example, who suffers from imposter syndrome can recognize that imposter syndrome feels like a tightness at the base of their throat, or a pounding in their ears. When they tap into that, they can recognize the pounding in their ears. If they can recognize the, the sensation of, you know, the tightness at the bottom of their throat and go, oh my God, this is what I feel when I feel imposter syndrome. Wow, I'm feeling imposter syndrome right now. And when I feel like an imposter, I behave in certain ways. I make myself small, I make excuses, I avoid taking the risk, I overcompensate by bragging or making myself bigger than life. And that is what puts people at choice, is the ability to say, this is what's happening for me right now. And this is how I normally behave at a habit or on autopilot. Is that behavior best serving me, best serving the relationships that I have, and best serving the team that I lead in, in this position? Um, so it really is about reading your body as a, a sense of brand new information. So you mentioned imposter syndrome. Are there others that come up a lot that people maybe aren't aren't realizing there's a connection between how they're maybe feeling emotionally and, and, and how it's, you know, then articulating it physically? I can say that I haven't, in the individual coaching work that I do, and I, I think I can speak for the rest of the coaches on our team uh, pretty confidently about this, I don't know that I've come across a case where this isn't true. And if I think about my own body of work, right, I, I've been through this process and I, I'm, you know, we're all a work, a work in progress. I spent a long time getting really comfortable with what I now refer to as stepping into my greatness with grace. And I was avoiding uh, kind of taking bigger stages or avoiding finishing the book or avoiding, you know, doing national and global conferences as a keynote. Um, 
because I didn't want greatness to be equated with ego or with arrogance. And I had this huge aversion to ego or arrogance. And so I started to recognize when I was having those, you know, physical responses, that's like, ugh, you know, like that nauseousness in my stomach that was like, oh my God, like, no, 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 make yourself small, avoid this. People are going to think you're too big for your britches and, you know, ego, arrogance, bad things, run away. And so I think it shows up for everybody. You know, it, it's, it's something that I have seen over and over and over and over and over again. Um, some people minimize, some people have imposter syndrome, um, some people have absolute blind spots that are revealed by just kind of tapping in and saying, hey, what's that? What's that feeling in your stomach? Oh, it's anger. It's anxiety. No, no, no. Give that feeling a voice. If that anxiousness, that thing that you call anxiousness in your stomach could tell you something, what would it teach you? And just that right. question alone opens up a whole world uh, of blind spots and truth. Yeah, and just to begin to, to, to think about things and, and make small changes, uh, often people mm-hmm. think they have to go and, like, you know, make some gigantic change, right? They have to go and, you know, suddenly they're a Buddhist or suddenly they're, you know, whatever these giant <laughs> things in order to enact some sort of change in their life that's going to help them. And actually, it's, uh, you know, what I have found is to be small changes, small incremental mm-hmm. things, noticing things, making changes that you can tolerate and handle and, and do and make them a part of your routine a little bit at a time. And, and if you can do that over a period of time, over a, a month or a year or whatever that time frame is, be a lot better than you were when you started that process. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that that kind of becomes a part of your habit, right? How do I make continually think about how do I make little changes to what I'm doing so I can be better. And if that is a habit of yours, then it, you know, you look, can look back backwards at yourself at some point and be like, wow, I really have evolved. I've really, you know, been able to become the person I thought I was, or I wanted to be. Um, and and I, I say that and remind people, you don't have to go out and like radically change your life in in one weekend, you know, or in one, one swoop, because it's, I think it's unpractical. I don't think it's how anybody actually changes. And it's sort of a barrier. I think it's a, you know, we put that up that that's too hard. It's too much. And and so I, I'm never going to do it. Do do you agree or disagree or, or where are we at with that? I think I think you're right on, uh, and I love that you're using the word habit because so much of the work I think in leadership development and and soft skills, but particularly at the leadership level, is about cultivating a habit of recognizing your habits, <laughs> right? And figuring out which ones are serving you and which ones aren't, so you can be a choice. Uh, and it is it's about that internal work, right? That that just paying attention. And, and sometimes that's all the work that it takes. And for other people, it takes more work than that. But it's not about this massive overhaul. Uh, as a matter of fact, our, our coaching program is trademarked as evolution of self-coaching. And it's this kind of slow progression into some higher evolved version of yourself, right? This kind of new and improved version of you where the core of you is still the same, um, it's super authentic. You're all still represented, you know, in there somewhere. But it's it's like the new and improved, only the fittest survive version of you. Um, and evolution happens, you know, in micro slices. But at the end of, in this case, you know, six months or a year or two years, it's like you look back and you go, wow, I almost don't even recognize that other version of me. Right. right, because this is so who I am now. I only recognize myself as, you know, this human and not the human, the caveman human that came before me. <laughs> right. Well, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure I have a couple last questions I wanted to squeeze in. And that first one is, what's next for you? I, I hear there's a book coming out. There is. There is. I stay tuned for Q1. Um, there is a book coming out that is all about the relationships model. Uh, It's called Get Real, Bringing Your A-Game to Critical Relationships for Increased Connection and Results. Um, So we're super excited about that. It's been a labor of love over the past couple of years, and I'm finally taking the brave leap to get that out there in the world. Uh, So, yes, we are super, super excited about that. 
And, uh, you know, that's great. You have a book coming out. We certainly will look to check that out, and we will make sure our listeners know about that. But is there a book that maybe you're reading right now or one that you typically suggest people check out? You, you mentioned the earlier influencing, uh, you know, people, the, the Carnegie book, which is great. But are there any other books that you're reading right now that um, you suggest people check out? Uh, yeah. You know, actually, there's a, a great book that's similar to this topic or a great great entry point into this topic called Unlocking Leadership Mind Traps. Uh, it's by Jennifer Garvey Berger, who is an absolutely extraordinary leadership coach. Uh, she and I actually both studied under the same uh, kind of grandfather of the body of coaching work that we, we are practitioners of. Um, but Unlocking Leadership Mind Traps by Jennifer Garver Berge, or I'm sorry, Garvey Berger is a definite read. It's a quick read, uh, and it talks about five mind traps that leaders often fall into and how to overcome them. Um, so it's a quick, easy read, but I think it's a phenomenal read and would call it all but mandatory um, for any, any aspiring leaders out there or even experienced leaders. Well, fantastic. Well, how can people find out more about you? How can they maybe reach you or uh, find out more about uh, Develop Us? Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, I am all over social media, and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at, uh, I think it's forward slash Kelly Irons. It's just nice and straightforward, my name. Um, you can also reach out to us at www.developus.com. So our website will connect you to uh, all the people on our team, myself included. My direct contact information is on there because we are all about uh, transparency and building relationships, so I don't, I don't hide from anyone. Um, but if you'd like to email me directly, I can be found at kelly.irons at developus.com. Uh, if you'd like to reach out and learn more about anything that we're doing or just have a quick conversation and maybe even get clear about what it is as a leader you want to learn. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for being on the show today. Hopefully we can have you back at some point and give us uh, an update on all the cool things you're doing and maybe talk about the success of the book, which I'm sure you're going to have. But uh, thank you again for being on the show. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invite. Our next live show won't actually be until December 17th. We've got the uh, Thanksgiving coming around. We've got a few things uh, happening with travel and, and uh, speaking engagements, but uh, be sure to turn in to TalentTalkRadio.com and iTunes. You can listen to all the shows maybe you missed during the, during the year, but we will be back live on the 17th, um, and we'll have some best-of shows or whatever in between them. But you can find us anytime, 24 hours a day, on uh, anywhere you pick up your podcast. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.